Yoshi, what can you see? I can see a lot of stone vessels. I can see old ancient jars. I can see a, a picture of King Ramesses III. Um, we're, in, we're in Manchester Museum. That's some very good knowledge, by the way, that you yeah. managed to pick that out. Uh, we are. We're at Manchester Museum. 18 months after it closed for renovation, and we are here. Yeah, this is the first day that members of the public, mostly journalists, are in here. It opens properly this weekend, and they have attempted to reimagine what a museum should be all about. Welcome to the Manchester Weekly from the Mill. Welcome to this week's episode of the Manchester Weekly from the Mill. This week, on location at the new revamped Manchester Museum. You'll hear the hustle and bustle of mainly press behind us who are here today, Yoshi, as we are, to have a bit of a nosy around and have a look. Yeah, we're having a look around. We've been here for a couple of hours. We've looked at the new galleries. We've looked at the sort of revamped old galleries. And it's exciting. It's a big Manchester thing that's reopening. It is. It's very exciting. I'm impressed by it. I'm very impressed by it. It feels new. It feels like there's a still, you can sort of still smell the paint in some places. Um, and some of the exhibitions are really, really fascinating. This episode, we're going to get into this, right? And we're going to speak to some of those people who've helped to curate these, including um, a, 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 an Egyptology, a sort of slightly, slightly tweaked Egyptology mm-hmm. exhibition. Uh, also an exhibition on China and Chinese culture, mm-hmm. which is really important, mm-hmm. right at the crosshairs of lots of really important issues mm-hmm of our time, but here in Manchester as well. Um, and we'll hear in a minute from Esme Ward, who is the director of Manchester Museum. Just, just more generally, Yoshi, we've been here a few hours. Well, what have you made of it so far? The thing that really strikes me about coming here is that they've really tried to do something different with it. They've tried to create galleries you wouldn't expect, one about South Asian culture, one about Chinese culture, in Manchester, about diasporas, about like creating cultural connections between people. It's very far away from archaeological objects and mummies and stuff. You've got all that stuff, but you've also got these new things that feel much more modern, feel much more of their moment. And actually, the idea is that they feel much more modern Manchester, that they represent the city. So that's something that struck me. And earlier, I was walking around some of these new galleries with Esme Ward, the director, and she told me what the vision for this new space really is. So which bit are we in now? So this is the Li Kai Hung Chinese Culture Gallery. Yeah. So the whole idea of this gallery is that it is to really think about how do we build empathy and understanding between the UK and China. Okay. Arguably quite necessary Interesting. at the moment. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a beautiful gallery, mm. um, partly because actually what it does is it draws not just on Manchester Museum's collections, mm. but collections from across the city. Yeah. So we, you know, we've got some friends in the cultural sector and, and, and everything from a, a, an extraordinary Qing scroll from mm. the John Rylands collections. Okay through to um, our own amazing collections here. So this is a, a Milu deer. Um, okay, so uh, we're looking at an absolutely enormous <laughs> stag. Um, a Milu deer. Yes. Um, from the 19th century. The yeah. last herd of Milu deer living in Chinese Imperial Park died out. Mm-hmm. I see. So this was, a, this was a real deer. So it's an amazing story of global cooperation. This was a real deer. Mm. So this last... Um, the Milu deer were on the brink of extinction mm. in China. So they sent a population of Milu deer to the UK because wow. deer do really well here. Yeah, um, we're, good they, we're good with deer. We're good with deer. And they thrived. Yeah. Um, and so then 
we eventually reintroduce the deer back right. to China, right. where it's now thriving. So it's this kind of lovely story of cooperation. This feels like the kind of story that museum curators would, would naturally buy into. <laughs> very much so, very much so. But, you know, it's really unusual to have natural history yep. alongside ceramics, alongside a whole host of other collections. So that's one of the unusual yeah. things about this museum. Mm-hmm. You've got frogs yeah. in one bit of the museum. Oh, yeah. You've got mummies in another bit. Mm. So you've got living creatures mm. and thousands of years old mummies mm. in the same thing. You've got natural history, you've got human. That is unusual, isn't it? Well, it is and it isn't. So the frogs is quite unusual. I'll, yeah. give, it, I'll give you that. Yeah. Um, the toads. It, there's toads, quite. Yeah. Um, the thing I love about having all of that under your roof mm. is you really are exploring you know it is the world yeah. um but that also brings real challenges so yeah. you know let's not beat around the bush this mm. is a museum born of empire yeah. so lots of the material we have has been extracted yeah. from those countries yeah. that's a really challenging complex legacy and yeah. we're, we're trying to address that front on so before we walk into the yeah. south asian bit which is mm. an important new addition there's, there's so much politics in the world that you operate. So you talked about the, the idea of returning objects mm-hmm. and, and, and working out how objects got here. Yeah. And there's a sort of debate about which ones might have been looted and which yeah. ones was uh, some sort of legal yeah. agreement. You've got a curator who's dedicated to that kind of work, provenance, haven't you? So we've, we've, got, we've got a curator of living cultures, yeah. um, Anjabulo Chipangura, yeah. um, and what he does actually, he looks after uh, what are called our living cultures collections, yeah. so often called ethnographic collections. Mm. And what we wanted with that role was someone who would take a bit more of a proactive approach yeah. to restitution. The reality is the people who are most closely connected to mm. those kinds of collections... Mm are often the most distant. Yeah. Whether they are what in the museum was sometimes called source communities mm. or diaspora communities. Source communities doesn't sound like a great term. It's not great. Yeah. It's really not great. And this is part of the this is part of the challenge, you know, the language of museums mm. yeah. is um, is it needs to evolve. Yeah, yeah. And and so part of this for me that I'm really interested in is how do we start to have conversations with our public yeah. about what the future museums looks like. Yeah. I think quite a lot of the future museums looks like having a more proactive approach to restitution. Yeah. I think museums can be about building relationships with people all over the world, mm. um, exploring shared yeah. ownership of collections, all of these things. Yeah. But we shouldn't be doing that behind closed doors. Yeah. You know, what do the people of Manchester think about that? Yeah. How do we have those conversations? So we're walking past a cabinet that has amazing Chinese garments. Um, mm. They look pretty old and um, very, very colourful. Silk, I think, maybe. Yeah, and definitely. I suppose another political question that comes up when you've got a China gallery is contemporary politics related mm-hmm. to China. How did you mm-hmm. navigate that here? Have you been able to have any messages in here that, mm-hmm. that were, someone, someone in the Chinese government wouldn't be happy to, to read or mm-hmm. that kind of thing? So, as you might imagine, mm. we've obviously thought a lot about this and had lots of conversations mm. with partners all over. So the whole gallery is actually a collaboration with the Manchester China Institute, yeah. who are here at the University of Manchester. Yeah. Who, this is their work. They mm. focus on international relations. Yeah. And this very clearly mm. is a gallery that is about people in China and people in Manchester. This isn't a Chinese state mm. and Manchester as a civic state. That's mm. not what's going on here. Mm. So, yeah, we've thought long and hard about those. We are not going to shy away mm. from either our imperial past mm. or what's happening in China. Mm. Why, why would we? That's mm. the reality. Mm. But what we are trying to do is, I suppose, through an empathy lens, mm. 
and, and the whole gallery is kind of curated to think through that lens. Mm. We want to find a way to have a different kind of conversation mm. about not taking positions. Yeah. You know, a lot of people ask me about culture wars mm. and, you know, mm. you're on the front line. Mm. And, and yes, we are. Mm. I do believe there is another way. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe the other way is about us um, starting to really try and uh, open up the conversations more widely. Yeah. So we're just going to walk now into, I think, are we going to, about to walk into your South Asian? Yeah, bit? we are. So talk to are. me about this, because this has probably been the bit of this new mm -hmm. reopening that's got the most publicity. Mm -hmm. And it's been an area of British life, such an enormous area of British life is the South Asian connection. Mm -hmm. But it's an area of British life that the cultural sector maybe hasn't done enough on. Yeah. So is that why you're so excited about this gallery? Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, there's lots of reasons excited about this gallery. So yeah. it's partially with the British Museum. Yeah. Um, drawing on their, their collections and working closely with them. Mm. But I think the thing that's most significant about this gallery is in a way, not just the what's in it, it's the how we've done it. Mm. So I suppose we've been thinking about who gets to tell their stories mm. in our museums. Yep. And one of the things we talked about doing was maybe it shouldn't be us as museum professionals. Yeah. So we So have, you've co-curated yeah, it. Yeah, so we've got a collective. We've got 30 individuals, yeah. um, all of South Asian heritage, yeah. um, connections to Manchester, yeah. um, they have for the last four and a half years been researching, yeah. they are the curates, like co-curation on an epic scale. And they are not museum no, professionals? No, no they're, I mean, they're people, you know, yeah. they are, yeah. they're scientists, okay. researchers, business people, okay. community leaders, teachers, yeah. students, yeah. artists, <laughs> yeah. people. Yeah. And, and, and so actually, for many of them, it was a, this actually very moving kind of own personal discovery and reconnecting their history, yeah. as well as thinking more widely about British history. We have these moments where people have either unearthed um, you know, narratives that weren't as visible, or we've taken the opportunity to work with new artists yeah. and to commission new um, new material, new objects. Not least the awesome rickshaw. Well, so we're looking at a rickshaw okay. and it's unbelievably colourful. Yeah. You've got um, you've got f sort of flowers on the on the sides of the wheels. Can you see the bee? I mean, God, Where's the like, bee? See the bee just oh, at the front yeah, okay, there. So yeah. this is you know we're in Manchester. So um, <laughs> uh, so this rickshaw. We imported actually two rickshaws from nice. Dhaka in Bangladesh. Nice. And we worked with um, the world's leading rickshaw painter, right. worked with young Bangladeshi and young Manchester artists. Nice. So I'm going to take you around the back. Okay. Right. Because around the back, this is pure Manchester, South Asia. Nice. So if you look on the left side of the hood, okay. that be Manchester. So we've got uh, <laughs> St. Peter's Square, Go on, how Central you doing? Library. We've got, how, how am I doing? Yeah, uh, okay, okay, we've got what, the museum. What's this bus going past yeah, here? Sort of just some sort of fairly generic mill cottages. You've got Kimpton, what's now Kimpton Clock Tower. Yeah, yeah. Um, all, all the things, you know, magic, yeah. and a rainbow. Great. Right. Nice. Um, and then on the right, you have these kind of quite traditional yeah. architectural images of, of India. Okay. And, and down the centre, you have uh, scenes from Bollywood, Nice. With the one at the bottom being um, uh, not Bollywood, but Bend It Like Beckham. Oh, yeah, so nice. I think it's a very, it's a Manchester Bangladeshi rickshaw um, <laughs> uh, kind of done in, in collaboration. Good. So we've got one here in the gallery. It's a showstopper. Uh, and I just love that we've had this kind of leading rickshaw painter and nice. all these others yeah. working on it together. It took them months. You must have thought a lot about what the role of a museum like this actually is in Manchester. Mm. And the fact that we're in a South Asian gallery suggests that you really want it to reflect Manchester in a 
broader sense than mm. a traditional Victorian mm. gallery might or a museum might. But mm. what, what's it really about? What, what's the role of this museum in this city? Mm. So, in a way, I can't quite answer that. Mm. In that, I think it's about becoming, and I just, it is a process of becoming. It's about becoming the museum the city needs. Mm. So, so many people I know in and across Greater Manchester who are of South Asian heritage said, I don't see myself anywhere in your museum, I'm not represented. Yeah. That's in part, not just that, but that's in part what we're stood in now. Yeah. It's a, taking up that space. More widely, Chinese Culture Gallery, similarly, you yeah. know, actually, those are incredible stories between Manchester and China, that's nowhere. Mm. But it's much, much bigger than that. So mm. for me, this is a broader opening up your museum. Yeah. Who gets to tell their stories in our museums? Yeah. Who's actually, who works in them? Who's mm. based in them? So actually, in the other part of the building, mm. the whole top floor has been going through a quiet revolution. Mm. So we have opened the entire top floor of that museum. Yeah. It is now co-working spaces for environmental and educational charities mm. that share our mission and vision. Mm. They're based with us. Mm. So the Carbon Literacy Project, Climate Emergency Manchester, the Manchester Climate Youth Board, mm. we're even a college for neurodivergent young people, Pink College, yeah. that's the museum. Right. Um, and, and part of this for me is about us being useful to the city. Right. We're part of the university, you know, learning and research, it's in our DNA. Mm. Museums are where we get to learn about the world, where we get to explore mm. like, the complexity of what it means to be human. Mm. Um, actually, who gets to do that and who gets to shape what our museums look like? Mm. That's the bit for me. And that is about us being more inclusive. Mm. And I think if we're more inclusive, I'll tell you what, I can mm. promise we'll be more imaginative. Yeah. And do you know, so there, there, are, there are people out there who think that politics has come too much into museums or galleries whatever. Mm -hmm. so when you were making this museum you, you were doing it at a very interesting time mm. or remaking the museum mm. I feel when I'm in here yeah. that and I've only been in here for a couple of yeah. hours but it, I feel like you're trying to tell these stories much through objects and displays than text that's kind of trying to make mm -hmm. people think in a certain way mm. was that a big debate you had internally about how exactly to how at what level to speak to people I suppose yeah and I think you know I don't know about you I don't like being told what to think mm. um I don't think that's a great look for anyone so part of it is uh you know we we there are facts there are facts and we share those mm. but ultimately in museums we've actually told quite one-dimensional mm. stories mm. for quite a long time. Mm. So part of it is opening up mm. uh, other perspectives mm. uh, and, and, and telling those stories from those perspectives. So actually the gallery we're in, there are a lot of quotes in here. Mm. You get that sense, almost like somebody's talking in your ear. Yeah. Um, and we really wanted to have that sense. Yeah. And I suppose more widely, mm. you know, museums being political, mm. well, hello, nothing new there. Yeah. I mean, for me, anyone who thinks museums are neutral yeah. doesn't really understand what a museum is. Because choices go into everything. Choices go into everything. Yeah. Curation by its very nature. Yeah. You know, there are 10 other galleries we could have done, yeah. all the material we haven't done. Yeah. We do programming and more. So for me, of course, it is political. And mm. um, not party political, yeah. but political, we have to make those choices. Yeah. And context is everything, and mm. I think this is where we are now. Mm. But something like this gallery, it's a permanent gallery, mm. but it's designed to evolve. Yeah. It, won't, it won't look like this in yeah. you know, five years' time, right. and nor should it, because yeah. the world will have changed. Yeah. Um, so actually, how do we give this sense that these museums are kind of dynamic spaces yeah. that actually reflect and are engaged with the world around them?
rather than stuck in aspic. Esme Ward, thank you very much. Okay, pleasure. <laughs> that was Esme Ward with Yoshi um, on a bit of a tour of the museum. What did you What did you make of it? You know, when you first walk into these places and you're doing all these interviews, genuinely, I mean, you know, there's a bit of a cop out, but it's actually slightly hard to take in the real detail because normally when I go to an art gallery or a museum, which I quite often do on the weekend. I'm very quiet, I'm in myself, I'm on my own. Whereas here, it's like, I'm here with Sean, our producer, I'm here with, I'm here with you, um, I'm meeting all these, all these curators. So it's a little bit difficult to fully process what you're seeing. I, one first impression I really have is that a tremendous amount of thinking has gone into this. This is not a, we got some money, we did up our lose, we created a new cafe, we wanna make a bit more money from commercial stuff, so we created this new gallery space. It's not that. This, is, this feels quite innovative. It feels quite unusual. And when you speak to Esme, you get the impression, as I think our listeners probably would have when we interviewed her, she really thinks deeply about what is a museum? Who is it supposed to represent? Uh, what kind of the, of the stories of Manchester are represented? Which ones are not? Sometimes that can maybe, um, that can kind of fall into a little bit of sort of jargon, you know, almost arts world jargon. But a lot of the time, I think it feels like they're really, really thinking carefully. And and you also and one of those sort of really important and delicate uh, bits, I suppose, is the South Asian uh, exhibition which you've you've talked about. Is that is that new entirely? You've got to help me out here. Is that completely new? It's totally new, and it has um, new objects that they've commissioned from artists, and it has stories. For example, there's a story in there about Gandhi's visit to Darwin in Lancashire. He also came to Bolton. You'll be glad to know. Yeah, yeah. Did yeah, you know, I know that? that? I did know that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So during the um, I think it was 1931. So they've got interesting stuff like that. I, to, in a way, Daryl, and, and again, perhaps this is a cop-out, I think maybe the litmus test is not what I think of the gallery, but whether the very large number of people in Greater Manchester who have South Asian um, descent or, or are of South Asian descent or their grandparents were, um, came from Bangladesh or from India, I think it's, it's more about, like, do people like that feel like there's a genuine engagement with their communities in this museum? Do they feel much more at home in this museum than they would have done beforehand? I think that's probably the real test. It's, it's, very, um, it's a very interesting move. And then there's this other interesting bit, which is the Chinese culture bit. And, 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 and I also visited that earlier, and I think that throws up some interesting questions. Um, okay. Such as? Well, <laughs> the first question is, what is it? Because I said, I said to, to Brian Sitch, who's, who's the curator here, who's been looking after it, I said, right, we're in the China Gallery. And he said, no, we're not in the China Gallery. We're in the Chinese Culture Gallery. And I said, does that mean you kind of don't want to engage with some of the contentious geopolitics? And, you know, he, he wasn't saying they don't want to engage with it, but he said they really wanted to create a gallery that was about people, interpersonal relationships, rather than politics. And um, I'm going to write about this a bit this in our members only piece on the mill, but it's, it's a very difficult line to tread because they're working with the Manchester China Institute at the university. They've got a major donor who's, whose name is, is on the gallery. Um, it's not a gallery where you find a huge amount of about contemporary Chinese politics. Maybe that's a totally fair thing. I think um, it's up to people who visit this gallery what they think should be happening. But again, it feels very different. It feels very unlike what you might find in a, what you'd expect in a, in, a, in a museum. Let's hear a few words um, from Brian Sitch. So there are amazing portraits all around this gallery of um, Chinese people who are living in Manchester, I think, um, which you've had commissioned. 
we're also standing in front of a unbelievable wooden what is this a sort of wooden cabinet it's much taller yes. than i am yes this is a chinese display cabinet and it's uh it's what getting on for three meters tall yeah and uh, it's covered with the most beautiful carved wooden scenes yeah uh, it looks like people are almost dancing out of the bottom bit these carved figures over on the right hand side you may just be able to see a depiction of a dragon and there are people around it one, one at the bottom is shooting oh, his, yeah. his bow and arrow up at the creature yeah. this, this is actually a representation a, a, a carved representation of the story of the white snake and this is one of those important stories about relationships mm. that are at the heart of this gallery mm. because the white snake is the story of a, a demon mm. who came to earth and disguised itself or herself as a young woman and met a scholar and they fell in love mm. and they were they lived very very happily together until the abbot of a local monastery mm. told the young man what was going on he, he, he knew that mm. this man had formed a relationship with a demon so mm. so the two were parted and the young man was taken away to the monastery to, supposedly to end his days as a, as a monk wow. and the white snake and her sister the green snake then and this is the subject of a, the most amazing film set mm. created as, uh, as, as an opera. You, mm. you, you, you can find this uh, very, very, very moving story. Yeah. Uh, they, they rescued the scholar and eventually after many uh, adventures and misadventures, the two, the two were reunited. But we feel, you know, what, what an amazing story. But there wasn't any issue of censorship or, or of the funding of the Institute getting in the way of what you wanted to do with this gallery? No, not at all, because we are funded separately. Yeah. We, we sought their advice on things, but at no point has yeah. anyone ever said to us, no, you, right. you, you can't or you shouldn't tell that, that right. story. Right, right, right. And what do you hope this will do this gallery what do you hope this will do for the museum what, what will this do for the, for the city uh, I hope for great things for both of us but actually if I hope for anything even more than that mm. it's about what it does for relations with Chinese communities and Chinese individuals in the city that it, it, it creates that sense of much greater understanding and appreciation simply because this gallery creates a sense of empathy yeah. with other people seeing life through the eyes of someone else or experiencing life standing in their shoes what 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 might that be like and to encourage people to see things from a different perspective yoshi speaking to brian sitch in the uh chinese cultural gallery um you also spoke you also there's 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 also a bit on egyptology here as well isn't there that and that is legacy that's been here for a while hasn't it that's just been sort of re uh packaged yeah but there's a new exhibition that kind of displays it in a different way interprets it in a different way right has extra objects in it. Um, I'm no expert on what they had before, but I, this is the bit of the museum that will really blow people away, I think. Like, you go into this Egyptology bit and you see mummies in there, but they don't look like the mummies you expect from, like, Hollywood films or from school. Mm. They look different because they're from a different period of Egypt. They're from the Greco-Roman period of Egypt. And they they... They, they have almost portraits in where the faces would have been. So you, you kind of see an image instead of the face. They, um, they don't have this... They're, they're not in the same kind of um, packagings. They're not in the same kind of uh, uh, sort of casings that you would expect of mummies to be. They look really different. And luckily, and we didn't plan this, I was walking outside in the cafe and I saw Dr. Campbell Price... And he's, anyone who's on Twitter in Manchester probably knows him because he's very big on Twitter. He's their Egyptology lead. I don't know what his exact job title is, but he's a senior curator here. 
And he is the one who's been putting together this exhibition. It's shown in America, and now it's showing here at the first time. So I asked him to show me around um, and explain what is this exhibition. So I'm walking in here for the first time. Yes. And the thing that's striking about these Egyptian mummies mm -hmm. is that they don't look like the kind of Egyptian mummies that you would expect from school or from, you know, the media. They are... They, okay, so what, what's different about them? The first noticeable thing different about them is they look, in a sense, the, the, they, they look like they've got less of a sort of form to them. So they're, they're, they're a little bit more bumpy and they've got sort of patterns on the outside. But the big really noticeable thing mm -hmm. is they've got these portraits yeah. where, where, the, where the face would be. Mm -hmm. Almost look, feel like you're looking at someone. What, what is that telling us? What's different about these? Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head there because a lot of people through the media, through books, through fiction, mm -hmm. expect mummies to be wrapped up in white bandages. Yeah. Yeah. I know when I was a kid, when I was five years old, going into a museum for the first time and being disappointed the mummy on display didn't look like right. my cartoons. Yeah. But what you're seeing here is exclusively material from the Greco-Roman period. Yeah. So when Egypt is ruled by the Greek kings, the Ptolemies, yeah. last three centuries BC, into the first centuries AD yeah. when the Roman emperors ruled Egypt. Yeah. So at that time, there are still rich people and all the people you can see here are rich because right. you'd have to be really wealthy to afford this kind of treatment. Yeah. These people are continuing that ancient tradition of mummifying the body, but they're using a different kind of vocabulary right. of decoration and let's describe what we're seeing. There is a um, there is a, a mummy in front of us. Mm -hmm. the The wrapping is red. Um, there are some very beautiful sort of gold. They look like hieroglyphic uh, patterns. Yes. And then there's this kind of circular portrait where the face would be, mm -hmm. and it's quite lifelike. And I haven't seen that before. It's almost, it almost looks like a little bit of a painting on top of a mummy. Yes, we'll, we'll see more of these, these so-called Fayum portraits mm. um, elsewhere in the exhibition. We've got 12 of them, one of the best collections in Europe, yeah. actually. And what you're seeing is a, is a kind of multicultural response to death. Mm. So you're right, you've got the hieroglyphic, mm. pharaonic iconography, the god Osiris there, mm. a goddess with wings, mm. jackal god. But then you've got the guy's name, Artemidorus, mm. in Greek. Yeah. And then the portrait shows him as a you know, high-class Roman uh, citizen. Yeah. So it's a mixture. And yes, I think you're right. People will have an expectation of what an Egyptian mummy is. Yeah. And this might not meet that. But that's good because that's what yeah. museums are about. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Widening um, experiences and expectations. You spent the past couple of years in the in the basements and in the storage rooms preparing these um, different mummies yes you must have had a lot of time to think about the, the different ways in which they looked at death or that society thought about death compared to our own one yes um and i think there's there's, there's lots to learn um i think generally speaking mm. modern society is it's quite disconnected from yeah. death yeah Death is quite clinicised. Yeah, Deaths happen. Yeah, someone dies and then they, their body gets taken away to a funeral yeah. home for a few weeks. Yeah, yeah. so the, uh, here, and I think this is something that we're going to explore around programming as well mm. uh, to do with the exhibition. Mm. Here, uh, there is an expectation that death is the end, or modern society death is, is the end. Clearly, there is a belief in ancient times yeah. that you are preparing for the long haul here. Yeah. Yeah. 
if you are wealthy enough. Yeah. So, as I said, what you see in the exhibition is the top tier of society, maybe at most, maybe the f- top five or ten percent, people who are rich. Yeah. Other people, I think the default yeah. position yeah. in Greco-Roman Egypt, as in modern Egypt, yeah. um, using Islamic practice, yeah. someone dies, they get buried pretty quickly, yeah. uh, pretty simply, but they still might have uh, beliefs about an afterlife. Yeah. So there's something, and we are doing a bit more learning about this in Manchester Museum at the moment, yeah. about experiences of bereavement yeah. and actually yeah. remembering... Yeah. That, that these were the relatives of, of yeah. living people and the fact of creating these beautiful covers mm. not just helped the deceased but it also made the living relatives yeah. feel better. Amazing. Now, I'm going to ask you a question that's perhaps a little bit more contentious because museums across the country, across the world, are going through this big reckoning at the moment sure. about their objects, the provenance of their objects. And I've spoken to Esme, who's the director of this museum, about that, and we had her on the podcast. So some of our listeners would have heard that. But tell me about these objects. Clearly they, they are from imperial times, from, from colonial times. They've been brought here by um, collectors and archaeologists who were operating within the British Empire. Sure. Were they looted? Is that how you think about it? Uh, this is a complicated question. Uh, for Manchester Museum, I can say with confidence, yeah. relative confidence, yeah. that the material you're seeing came yeah. out through Fines Division. Okay. So this is a, a system, albeit a colonial one, yeah. cooked up by the British and the French, yeah. in which the best 50% of finds from an excavation stayed in the National Museum of Cairo, right. but up to 50% of what was considered to be surplus yeah. was given to archaeologists for export. So... The term looted yeah. is, is loaded. For, for some people, it's still, mm. uh, still relevant. Mm. But albeit under a colonial system, yeah. there was a, a legal agreement that the material would leave. So, the, so it's not like some of these Benin bronzes or something where, where a city was sacked and everything yeah. was taken away in the, in the dark of night. It's not a punitive expedition yeah. in the same way. Yeah. There are collections, let's make yeah. no, no yeah. bones about it, yeah. that were... Yeah, yeah. Amassed in that way and are still being amassed. Mm. Because the balance of this question is mm. while now in modern times all antiquities are legally the property of the state, mm. the illegal mm. excavation and export of antiquities from Egypt has ballooned. Mm. Much worse, some would say, yeah. than at the colonial high noon. Right. So actual destruction. Mm of Egyptian archaeology Mm. goes on apace, Mm. despite the best efforts of our Egyptian colleagues. Mm. So, uh, there's uh, a question here. I think we have to be better at telling the colonial story, Mm. more open and honest about acquisition histories, Mm. but also valuing Mm. and complicating and nuancing the material we do have in museums. That is uh, Dr Campbell Price speaking to Yoshi at the Manchester Museum, where we are today doing a special episode of the Manchester Weekly from the Mill, from the newly opened Manchester Museum. It opens this weekend. Obviously, Yoshi, one of the big issues that has been, that has caught people's attention and causes a lot of, stirs a lot of emotion and debate is a, a, around ownership over some of these things. It's been, you know, it's been a big news story for a while now, hasn't it, about how some of these things are, uh, how some of these artefacts are um, have, have, have come to be in the possession of places like the Manchester Museum or this country. Um, and, and the politics around that, the very delicate politics around that, how, how do you feel the Manchester Museum has approached that issue, that question? I think what they're trying to say is we want to be known as being really proactive. We don't want to wait till a community gets in touch with us and says, hey, you've got some objects that you shouldn't have, they were looted. 
they have tried to be more proactive and actually do an audit of their own stuff to see, okay, we've got millions of objects here. Which ones of them were sort of legally purchased or, or whatever? Um, for example, the mummies, Dr. Campbell Price was telling me that there was a system, a colonial system, where the, the best 50% of artifacts were kept in Egypt, in the Egyptian um, Cairo Museum. And the, the lesser objects were distributed among the, the, the people who'd been doing the archaeologists and, and, and their funders. So that's, in a sense, there is a, there is a legal basis under which some of these mummies are here. Even if you think it's tainted by kind of colonial power structures, it's still, there is some reason. Whereas there are other objects where the curators here have felt like, no, actually, this object, we're being told that this is a spiritual object. It should never have been, it would never have been given freely. We have to give it back. So they've given hundreds of objects back to Australian communities, but they still have thousands of, of objects from, from Australian communities. So I reckon that's a massively ongoing one. But I, I have to say that they clearly are thinking a lot about it. They, like, they're giving it a lot of proactive thoughts and I think if any listeners want to hear a bit more of that thought scroll down your feed literally to the bit with Esme Ward and you'll hear a, a good 20 minute chat about that yeah very much worth listening to that she is very um she's considered on that point mm. isn't she she's clearly an incredible she's thought about it a lot a very thoughtful woman clearly um okay um a couple of other bits and bobs for us to get into this week then Yoshi because um there is some there are some interesting developments in Bolton Northeast that we've been keeping an eye on and this is the nitty-gritty of party politics here. The selection process for the Labour candidate at the next election, um, a constituency of the Labour Party are hoping and feeling that they will be able to win back. Um, but it's been it's descended into, I think, I think chaos maybe the best way to describe it. What's going on in Bolton North East? Yeah, so we've talked about this one before, but the front page of the Bolton News um, this week on, on Thursday was covering this chaos um, that you're talking about. So nine of the local Labour Group's 13 executives resigned last week um, after what they are describing as a clique in London (laughs) tried to promote or snub certain candidates based on their alignment with the National Party. As you know, these seats, like big target seats, there's often a lot of contention about who gets to be the candidate. You've often got the National Party who want a different thing than the local activists. The local activists are often not singing from the same hymn sheet. They don't, you know, they're not following the party line. So Lee Drennan, who we've talked about, he was kept off the ballot, apparently for due diligence reasons. Um, but a lot of people locally think it's because he seemed to be the kind of candidate representing the left. As we know from this week's news with Jeremy Corbyn and Keir Starmer, the left is not in favour in, in, in the party at the moment. To make matters worse, there are new allegations of postal votes being compromised due to voting packs not sort of containing the, the ballot envelopes. Um, and, and, and people locally saying, therefore, the secrecy of members' voting records is severely compromised. That's according to this reporting in the, in the Bolton News. So this little drama about who will get to be the candidate in a key seat in Greater Manchester rumbles on. Okay, there's also an update on the Oldham Coliseum that we've been uh, following, Yoshi, and its fate. What's happened this week? Yeah, so the news is that there's a proposal now that the Coliseum closes on the 31st of March. We knew that the programming had been wound down. This is going a little bit further. The theatre has entered a period of consultation with staff. Um, A spokesperson told The Mill this week, for clarification, it is currently only proposed that the Coliseum will close. Closure, or not, can't be determined until the period of consultation is complete. But if anyone wants to know what's really going on, 
they need to read Molly's Weekend Read about the Colosseum because she really got into a lot more detail um, than was already out there um, about what's happening in Oldham. Okay. Um, There's also been um, another really important story in our patch this week, Yoshi, about the the murder of Brianna Gay, who is a 16-year-old transgender girl who was killed in Cheshire. And there's been a significant update on that, hasn't there, in the last couple of days? Yeah, a 15-year-old boy from Lee in Wigan um, is one of the two people charged with her murder. Um, The boy will appear at Liverpool Crown Courts um, as long as that is co-accused. Um, which who is a 15-year-old girl from Warrington. Um, as we know, Gay was found stabbed um, to death in a park um, on, on Saturday. Um, and this week there's been a vigil uh, for Gay, which was held at Sackville Gardens um, in the Gay Village. Um, so, yes, yeah, it's, it's one of the more sort of horrifying crime stories that there's been this year, isn't it? It's, it's kind of unfathomable. For sure. And also... Is the world under the control of a global elite, Yoshi? Not the kind of thing you'd normally find me especially asking on this podcast. <laughs> Some st- what, what, is, what is this survey that's been done of people in Manchester Central? So 49% of people in Manchester Central, which is a constituency, you know, um, they think that the world is under the control of a global elite, according to this survey that was done by Unheard. They, they, they surveyed uh, lots of constituencies. All the constituencies, are they? Manchester Central had the fourth highest proportion of residents who believed the world was dominated by a global elite, with um, Blakely and Broughton coming in at ninth. Um, so God knows what that's all about. But I, I've noticed that whenever pe- people get surveyed about conspiracy theories and stuff, it's always way higher numbers than you'd expect. Now, I don't always think those numbers are totally legit because I think there's a certain thing where if you ask someone a question about something... They and you state what it's about that you'll get a lot of people who just say yeah yeah I'm into that just because they've heard it so I don't know if it's it generally would be that high but um, but I guess the concern around that of course is that is that that is a that is a conspiracy theory that's that's I mean it's wild but it's also laced with lots of issues around anti-Semitism and this is a hugely high number of people who live in a what is what is. A, a kind of perceived to be a very kind of liberal area, you know, educated, connected to the to the you know to to the to the internet. I mean, just the, 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 not the sort of people that you would expect to be buying into something like that. But what is a global elite like? Yeah. Uh, you know, people well, might be so people might sort of mean like you know, do all the finance ministers get together and make decisions behind our backs? Or yeah, I don't know. I think I don't think most people would be thinking of it in terms of, like, the Rothschilds or whatever. But, um, yeah, you're right. It is pretty striking, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, and um, uh, there's been an independent report as well, Yoshi, into Greater Manchester's Jewish population as well that's found some interesting results, hasn't it? Yeah, so this? my friend um, sent me this earlier, and I thought it would be good to talk about it. Um, this survey finds that there needs to be greater collaboration between the region's mainstream Jewish community and its Haredi population, or ultra-Orthodox Jews. Um, it raises questions about how well the Federation of Jewish Services, the community's main welfare provider, uh, worked with the Haredi community, um, who it found were having more problems accessing affordable property and specific services. So there's always obviously been this tension within the Jewish community between the ultra-Orthodox and what you could describe as the more mainstream Jews. And what this report is getting at is that those links are very weak and that um, that's, that's, that's harming the, the community. So... Yeah, really interesting survey. Mm, yeah, important as well. Um, we've also been following the fortunes of Greater Manchester Police and the stories around police conduct, Yoshi, and another important development on that this week. 
Yeah, because it almost feels like every week we do now, there's some sort of GMP misconduct thing. Mm. So I don't know, surely we should be doing a long read about what on earth is going on here. But the policing watchdog is investigating after a man died shortly after being arrested by GMP officers. A man was in his 20s. Um, he was arrested by officers responding to reports of a stabbing in Lee. Um, he became unwell afterwards and died at the scene. The Independent Office of Police Conduct have said they'll be investigating the level of force used to restrain the man and the actions and decision-making of police. Okay. Um, that's your brief on everything else you need to know. Uh, plenty more of that on, uh, in your edition of The uh, the Mill. You can, of course, subscribe manchestermill.co.uk uh, and you'll get all of those stories in a little bit more depth. Um, finally... From us here at the Manchester Museum, Yoshi, mm. a couple of days before it's due to open mm. to the public. Mm. Um, I've, I've really enjoyed I mean, I've only been here for about an hour, mm. Mm. but I've really enjoyed it. I've been really struck by, you yeah. know, by, by the, the breadth and the depth mm. of the stuff that's here, mm. the thought that has gone into it, mm. um, how important a cultural, you know, a, a, a piece of the UK's cultural landscape this, this place is, and what an addition it is to Manchester now it's reopened after 18 months. I don't know about you. Yeah, I think that too. But I also think the interesting thing about stuff like this is what happens when you get people in the mixer? You know, it's not really us, but it's like, what, what happens when you get people in? What will people make of it? Like, it's, it's like me and you, we do a podcast and we speak to like the kind of elite people who put the whole thing together, like the academics and the curators and have all these debates about the politics stuff. But what's really interesting about art galleries and museums is what do punters make of it when they come in? Like our listeners, but also loads of other people. Do they find the South Asia thing really engaging or interesting? Or like, would some people in the South Asian community find it like patronising or something? Like, what about the China bit? Will people feel like the China bit's two kid gloves or will they find it, actually, no, that's really good. We should be building stuff that's not about politics, but it's about people. Like, what I'm looking forward to is hearing from our readers once we do the podcast and once we do a couple of newsletters, what do people make of this whole thing? Um, and then you know that that will be the that will be where the rubber meets the road. Mm-hmm, absolutely, uh, would love to hear from you on that, and we'll uh, we'll come back to that for sure. Um, thank you for being with us on this week's episode of the podcast, a special one, a bit different out and about. Yeah. I've enjoyed it. It's been and nice. if you'd like us to do an on the road episode somewhere else, make some suggestions. We're very keen to hear it. Well, you could leave them in the comments, perhaps. You um, could, you could leave them in the comments, comments. or oh, no, or you could email Yoshi at Manchester Mill. Perfect. Do that. Um, we are back in your podcast feed next week in the meantime don't forget to subscribe to The Mill to get more insightful news in-depth analysis of what's going on in the city you love in your inbox manchestermill.co.uk is where you do that for now bye 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 bye